1: This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, and we're in for a real treat today, folks, because Lisa Loving Dalton, best-selling author of Falling for the Stars, a stunt gal's tattletales, is here to discuss her terrific book. And believe me, folks, you are going to be uh, so thrilled when you hear about this wonderful book. Now, Lisa has uh, stunt doubled for celebrity superstars like Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, Katherine Hepburn, for gosh sakes, Sean Connery, Robin Williams, Madonna. And Robert Downey Jr., and, and the list goes on. She's appeared in over 200 films and TV shows, including the original Ghostbusters, FX, Legal Eagles, Splash, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Melrose, and Melrose Place. And uh, she knows what it's like, folks, to hang over cliffs, get hit by a moving car, drop from five stories up, and dodge a bridge full of speeding cars. But after a career-ending spinal injury, she started researching some non-traditional healing methods, and she's now certified in NLP, hypnosis, and neurological repatterning, which are the ways she's learned how to heal. Lisa is in the green room waiting patiently right now, and I would like to it's just my great pleasure to bring her on right now. Welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, Lisa. Thank you, Betty Jo, so much for inviting me to visit. Well, I'm just, you know, very happy that you could be with us today. I I want to congratulate you on the success of your of your book. As I mentioned to you uh before uh, coming on air, I finished it last night and I loved everything about it from beginning to end and I love the title Falling for the Stars a Stunt Gal's Tattletales and uh, I just think you you really are onto something with with this book it's almost like watching a movie uh, of your of your life and uh, of course we have lots of questions for you how did you end up in the and stunt business well it was a,
2: an interesting thing because I grew up very klutzy and um oh. and I fell down a lot. I had to figure out how to not kill myself while crashing into things. And in fact, I'm, <laughs> I'm still, I'm so klutzy, I wear a bib when I eat. It's true. You don't. Still no. to this, I do. You wear a bib. I wear a bib. I do. Because I, I know did. myself. And this is the thing you know, I'm a voluptuous woman, as you know from reading the books some of the stories <laughs> yes, there. Yes. Of, about that and as if you consider well shelves collect dust as they might say so everything I owned was stained right across the chest (laughs) (laughs) so this is the thing that I I decided that I needed to look at what other people would consider flaws find the beauty in them and make a living at them you know and and be practical about them so I I took dance and I took gymnastics and things to help me be more graceful and um, ultimately, I became a clown um, along with my oh. acting work and um, my clowning skills led me to be in a theater company that did stage combat and gymnastics juggling and all that sort of stuff and oh. that uh, that's where I built up m- my real skills of applying the um, the the uh, physical uh, activity that I seem to be engaged in um, to telling stories. And, in fact, one time in New York, I was criticized by a, a writer in The Village Voice because my stage combat was too realistic and we were performing in the park for for children. And they oh thought that, gosh. you know, it was too it was too scary looking and i i thought well that's i guess that's supposed to be an insult but that must mean i must be pretty good at it yeah
1: <laughs> it was definitely so, a compliment
2: Yeah, and I had the chance to be a stand-in on a movie, which is where you stand in the place of the star while they fix the lighting and set the camera angles and practice the technical requirements for getting the shot, and then you you step away when the star steps into position, and when they hire people to be a stand-in, they're looking for someone with a similar complexion and hair color and height and weight, and um, Um, so there was a movie being done it was 1980 it was uh at that time it was was called every wednesday and it had tina louise from gilligan's island in it and i was a good stand-in for her and they had a few shots where they had photo doubling which is where you're actually everyone thinks it's her but it's you and and um there was another actress in it, Julie Haggerty from um Airplane. Airplane. Yes, oh Ted. <laughs> right, so I would had Ginger, oh Killigan. and Airplane, oh Ted. And uh, <laughs> uh I got to double Julie. She was a kidnap victim who spent in the story, a lot of time in the backseat of the car of the two kidnappers. Mm-hmm. One was the stunt coordinator, and that's the person who arranges the stunts. And then the uh, other kidnapper was an unknown actor named Ed O'Neill, who of course mm-hmm. went on to be Al Bundy, Bundy, and uh, and uh, is on um, Modern Family, right? So yeah. he went on to be a great star and um, they were obviously very funny and uh, and during that time I just sort of picked the brain of the stunt coordinator to find out everything about stunts that I could and at the end they needed three stunt women at once and he only really had one available and so he asked me if I would double Joanne Flug who was the uh, beautiful nurse in the original M.A.S.H. Um, yes, I remember her. It wasn't she was just wonderful and um oh. and I was hanging off the door of a garbage truck in a chase scene. So oh. that was my <laughs> first stunt and yeah. And it One stuck. Thing, <laughs> yeah, it stuck. One thing led to another. I I um he referred me to to another person and um that job i i was supposed to jump out of the way and the car slid and hit me instead and um Mm -hmm. and my gymnastic instincts kicked in so i didn't get hurt and everybody was kind of impressed by the fact that i didn't get hurt and i also i didn't tattle on the fact that i was a rookie which uh, the stunt guys were worried i'd I'd admit that I was inexperienced and make them look bad, but I kept my mouth shut and they liked that. So, um, you know, <laughs>
1: one thing led to another. <laughs> well, you were you were uh, then uh worried at that time about uh well, yes, of course you were worried about about getting hurt, but it but uh, but that uh, didn't didn't uh, phase you uh, going on then for more for more stunts, right?
2: That's true. It's true. I was excited by the scientific um, and athletic challenge of it. You know, in my earlier days when I sort of first uh got on the swim team, I was the worst or the basketball team or the softball team. I was always the worst, uh, last pick and stuff like that. But I stuck mm-hmm. with it and and always won most valuable player trophies eventually. So I figured, you know, this, um, this was exciting. It was interesting. I, I liked the science in terms of trying to figure out the, um, you know, the angles and the lines and the speed and the trajectory and uh, that part of it, uh, which, you know, you try to assess what, what are the most prominent points of danger and what are the ways that you can ameliorate those. What, do, what can you do to make those not so dangerous and trying to figure that out, and then just being right in the moment, ready to deal with that unquantifiable moment that that is going to come from somewhere, you know and I, well I, like that. I was so
1: impressed uh, reading your book. I, I love the way you uh, you really did get into the the stunt you did get into the stunt business and you took it upon yourself to do a lot of things that maybe other people who were doing stunts wouldn't do. I mean, if you were you were actually helping the scene, uh, you know, maybe not like a not maybe not like a stunt woman, but you were doing other things like ma- I mean, doing, being responsible for costume, makeup, uh, and that I think that, that that stood in your good stead. I think that that helped you be uh, in demand was that pretty much uh, the way way it happened for you? I, I do think so because there were two
2: things that were against me, or three things really that were against me in um, in, in as the uh, as the industry in general was operating at that time. Number one was um, five eight, and most of the actresses were five four to five six. Um, number mm-hmm. two, most of them were uh, were the equivalent of today's size two, and I mm-hmm. was the equivalent of a size eight. And, um, and I was red-haired, which, you know, aside from Tina Louise, <laughs> not very mm-hmm. many people were red-headed stars then. So I ran into a couple of things. One was um, – Fortunately, because of my clowning and my theater background, I was very good with makeup. And through the acting technique that I was learning uh, at the same time, I was moving into the stunt industry. I learned how to sort of identify the energy patterns that uh, an actor um, moved with. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and back then, in the and we're talking the '80s, you couldn't just hop on the internet and see a video of somebody um you had to do quite a bit of work to find out what a person looked like and um and i would try and rent videos that i could study that actor in and find out the oh. coloring of their hair this this shape of their bodies and everything so that when i went on the interviews i would imagine that i was them and i would I had all these wigs that I had, and I would wear the wigs, and I would you know, strap my chest down so I'd be more flat chested, and I would pretend I was smaller, and it was actually pretty effective. So,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you did get yeah. into it. I, that's It's just, and then, uh, dear listeners, when you and I hope you do check out Falling for the Stars. Because there's so much inside information about um, the stunts that Lisa was involved in and the people that she she worked for, it, and uh, it's just it's like uh, it's just uh, you're right there with her when she's when she's going through this, and that's another thing that I loved about your your book, uh, Lisa. You did you did uh, have a the book has a you are there kind of feel to it which it always makes it more more interesting and I mentioned some of the people that you uh, worked with but um what uh, if you had to pick some of the people that you work with that you'd like to talk about talk about today um I hope you mention uh, Daryl Hanna and and what you did in uh Splash that was my that was my favorite but but <laughs> but go ahead what you know well I'll of go all ahead the people and people start... that you worked with
2: yeah, I'll go ahead and start with the splash because it, it was really fun um, and funny, and uh, and it sort of is in line with what we were just talking about. Um, I didn't know the full, um, uh, you know, scope of what was happening. Daryl Hannah was not very well known. I knew her. I knew she had done Blade Runner, and I knew she was a gymnast, and so I when I was invited by the stunt coordinator to come and meet Ron Howard and the cinematographer and to go on a location scout with them and to meet Daryl Hannah, Uh, I was very excited about that. Of course, who wouldn't want to meet Opie, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. yes. uh, Yeah, yeah. And so um, it was really uh, exciting. We met at Times Square, and uh, we were – talking about various things, and it was in the winter, so I was kind of bundled up and everything, and then we went over to production office, and um, we had stopped at some other um, uh, locations on the way. We went downtown uh, near the Statue of Liberty because there was a shot that was going to happen where the mermaid was going to be swimming nude around the Statue of Liberty, and yeah. that that would be one that I would do and uh, of course the dive in off the pier at the end of the film mm-hmm. and then and so then we we stopped and we had coffee or something like that and uh, of course we took our coats off and everything and the next day um the coordinator called me up and he said uh, Lisa um Uh, Ron Howard and the director of photography are um, very embarrassed to say that they don't think that you can double Daryl. And I I said, why? I wear the right height, uh, you know, a similar shaped face, very fair complexion. And they were like, well, um, you're – She's smaller than you are up top. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, uh, okay. Oh, well, i I don't think it's going to be a problem because in the water, it's you know, it's it's not going to be that noticeable. The water is has very low visibility." <laughs> and, uh, oh, and they had ultimately, he said, well, it's not that because we decided that we had to cancel that shot because the water will be too cold, um, but it's the, the dive at the end. And I said, oh, well, don't be ridiculous. I'll be wearing a wetsuit with a man's shirt over me. Anybody can be flat-chested in a man's suit, and uh, in a wetsuit and, mm-hmm. and a man's shirt, and uh, and." And they said, well, no, she can't be wearing the shirt when she does the dive. And I said, well, why not? I mean, this is Disney, really? You want her bare-breasted? And they said, well, she can't have the shirt underwater. And I said, well, she's not going to have her tail on land. So if she can <laughs> grow a tail, she can certainly disappear a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Good thinking. Good thinking and they were just too befuddled and they were so embarrassed that ron howard said well lisa can can we just hire you for everything else that we can possibly use you for uh, <laughs> and i was like sure ron that would be just fine i'm i'm a good sport i understand i still think you should you know leave the shirt on though, whatever you do. And so I was hired to do what they call the nondescript stunt. That's where you're just sort of the person on the street who's jumping out of the way of the car or whatever. And um, it turned out that Ron was um, nervous at that time about stunts in general. And so uh, while I did a lot of uh, driving, I'm driving in various cars that are moving out of the way of in the chase mm-hmm. scenes and things like that. Um, the one great juicy little moment that they were going to give me is where Tom Hanks has, they've rescued her from the museum up on the upper west side, and they're driving down mm-hmm. towards the pier and they go across Columbus Circle. And the, they're in a BMW, they jump the curb, a balloon man, dives out of the way and then the army truck that's chasing them jumps the curb almost hits a jogger who dives into the fountain and cruises on and that's me i'm the jogger who almost gets gets hit and dives into the fountain (laughs) and so i'm excited i get to do a real job for this one right and before Mm -hmm. we shoot Ronnie comes up to me and goes, Lisa, please, I don't make this close, please. I I'm scared. Please don't don't make it close. You know what? You don't go in the fountain. You don't have to do you don't have to get wet. You you don't have to go do that to yourself. Really. It's it's not necessary. And I went, Okay, Ron, no problem. So we go. The BMW comes through, the balloon man goes, the the army truck bounces up over the curb and comes right at me. And I give plenty of time uh, to move out of the way. And I get, I overhear the cinematographer going to Ron. Ron, <clears throat> really, it's, it's boring. You, you know, she is a stunt woman. You get to go ahead and let her make it closer because it really, it doesn't look very good. It's just kind <laughs> of boring. So Ron comes up to me and says, okay, Lisa, you can make it closer go ahead and make it closer, but but don't go in the fountain. Don't go in the fountain. Just make it closer, <laughs> but not too close. Okay, so we go again. I make it closer, but not too close. And the cinematographer comes over to Ron and says, Ron, please, let the woman do her job.
0: <laughs>
2: so Ron says, okay, Lisa, go for the fountain. <laughs> Now, it's been kind of good because I've had enough rehearsals to be able to really get the timing down, to make it close and to need to go into the fountain. I'm very excited. I'm all geared up, and the BMW goes, the balloon man goes, the Army army truck jumps the curb, and crack comes to a rolling halt at my feet because it Mm. broke the axle.
1: Oh no.
2: And I just kind of stepped away. (laughs) And that was the end of the scene. (laughs) They couldn't redo it. They didn't have another army truck, they didn't have another axle on hand. And uh, you can see it. I mean, it's one one thing you can actually see, and uh, one of the rare times you can identify me, I have a gray jogging suit on and gray cap because our task as stunt people uh, in these nondescript things is is to be unidentifiable. So yes. just, I could look for a guy or whatever, and you see a guy sort of, you see the back of a jogger coming and just kind of <laughs> and slowly move away. <laughs> Well I, no. this this is just the
1: thing the thing about your book I mean uh you have the, such a great memory I think because you, you you're so, so detailed and the, and it's just uh, like I said before you know I felt like I was right there with you uh, when when all of these things are happening and what what are the, some of the uh stunts the, that you would like to to talk about uh that that probably were were either funny or, or you know, or dangerous. That uh, that you'd like to tell our listeners about. Well, the, one of the most dangerous,
2: seemed to me, and I, I feel like it was the scariest for me, was the um, leap uh, from the sixth floor um, rooftop. I was working on a, a, a film, Last Rites, with Daphne Zuniga and Tom Berenger, and yeah. that and I had to leap across the alley from uh, six stories up, and, and I spent all week long, you know, in the gym doing my broad jump. Uh, but would you stand on top of that six-story rooftop and you look down at the alley, and the alley was too narrow for an airbag, which is normally what you would have to fall into if you missed um from that height and There's mm-hmm. a bunch of people down there holding one of those little fireman trampoline things, and it just kind of look like the cartoons there they're <laughs> like I don't know if mm-hmm. i if I miss, I'm gonna sort of crash into the brick wall and ricochet down this six stories bouncing off the bricks uh, uh, and hopefully they'll catch me um (laughs) i don't know that Mm. was that was definitely scary and i it afterwards and even still today i get kind of a charge from thinking about it i did it and it worked and i didn't ricochet off the building and
1: thank um, heavens
2: Yes, yes. So that was that was very exciting. Um, one of the uh, very interesting ones what was in *Suspect*. Um, I doubled chair, but in the but I also doubled what what they call the dead in the first act girl. And mm-hmm. you see this in stories all the time. In the casting directors actually even call this character the dead in the first act girl. Um, She usually has a couple of lines in the beginning, and then she's, you know, her throat is slashed, she's thrown off the balcony, whatever, and it sets the story in motion. Um, So in this one, we were shooting in Washington, D.C., and it was with Liam Neeson and and, uh, Dennis Quaid in
0: Suspect,
2: Mm -hmm. um, with Peter Yates, the director, and he had done Bullet and some other very notable films, and I was the dead body frozen in the Potomac River. And, yeah, and so this is another one where you can actually see me. Um, I... Uh, the, the, the scene is a bunch of what they call the Polar Bear Club—a bunch of guys who, or gals, guys and gals—who jump in freezing water in the middle of the winter. Um, and so they, the scene is they're jumping into the Potomac, and they swim around the end of the dock and climb up, and they see this frozen dead body with its throat slashed, um, mm. wedged up against the. Uh, near the ladder in the, the dock and that is me and so the the first thing was of course hypothermia is the concern uh, because the water was 28 degrees and um, and it was in the middle of the winter so uh, I did all the research on how hypothermia works and what the phases are and everything and uh, it, it, it you can it can set in rather quickly. Uh, but certainly after three to four minutes, you, you can become numb. And one of the key things is that you stop, um, you, you stop vibrating. You, you know, the chill that's, uh, running through you stops. And that's sort of one of Mm. the shifts into a deeper layer of, of coldness where you just sort of doff. Mm. And, um, the dock itself, was a series of floating platforms, and the uh, camera crew was working to get all these different shots, switching out the lenses and having to change the film and things like that. So we targeted about four, four and a half minutes. We thought I could stick it out. And when I got in the water, um, of course, the first thing you do is you pee because that's going to warm you up and i have a oh, wetsuit on underneath that. right <laughs> yeah so always pee that's always important <laughs> yeah. and and um they had um coated uh some of the exposed skin in in uh, vaseline that would help keep some of the warmth in and um even though my hair was the exact same color as the actresses the act- actress who did the three lines um they put a wig on me which helped keep my head warmer and um but i had to learn how to breathe i had to breathe into my back so that my belly and nothing is moving as the cameras on me and and they they were like an amazing surgical team. They just whipped it out, but it was getting close to five minutes by the time they actually finished the shot, and they finished, and they said, "Okay, Lisa, get out." And so I try to lean up and try to get and I k- sort of got myself toward the ladder and i couldn't I couldn't reach for it. I couldn't grab it, I couldn't grasp it mm. my my knee wouldn't bend enough to get onto the lowest rung and my hand, my arms wouldn't move and my mouth was so frozen I couldn't say I needed help and so it took a few moments oh. for you know people to figure out that I, <laughs> I was too frozen
1: oh my to be able to, oh.
2: to get out so they got a team and you know, hoisted me out and uh, got me got me into the camper, stripped everything down, put me in um, those uh, Mylar blankets, those reflective sort of space blankets, and we started taking my temperature and everything was fine. Ultimately, everything came back and worked, but
1: that was a really interesting <laughs> Yes, and uh, and this just goes to show you that, that it's not all fun and games to be a stunt woman. But I I know you can't tell everything. You don't want to tell everything because we want people to read your book. But one of the things that my, that, uh, that will pique their interest is uh, what you did uh, for um, Meryl Streep. I thought that was one of the one of the highlights of the of the book. So um, so would you want to, would you uh, do me yeah. a favor and explain mm-hmm. that?
2: Yeah, um, so um, there was a film called Still of the Night with Meryl Streep and Roy Scheider, and in yeah. uh, the film, pardon? It was a thriller, right? Yes, it, it was a thriller, and um, it was good. And yeah, and and um, we were uh, doing reshoots, which was uh, six months after they'd finished shooting. And uh, they were trying to add and, and change some things around, and um, so I was doing uh, I was doing photo doubling, not on a stunt contract for for certain aspects of it. Um, one part was I had to walk dangerously as Meryl Streep mm-hmm. in her shoes, and they. I have a size nine foot. She has a size eight and a half, uh, <laughs> and they couldn't find any matching shoes to hers. So that was just the simple little thing. But I had to walk in the in winter as if it were um, spring, and walk stealthily in a very That's precise fun. way, and in the high heels that are a size too small. Um, lots of fun, so we did that. I was really appreciative of my acting technique that actually teaches you how to act with various body parts and uh, and then we were on the set, and I was working as uh sh- shadows hand shadows, shadow with knife and and you know the bad uh, am I Merrill am I Sarah Botsford, the other actress and then and I was sitting in makeup with Merrill. Uh, she was in makeup and we were just girl chatting. She was so warm and friendly. I just, she was amazing. And, mm. um, and the stunt, uh, I mean, the production uh, manager came into makeup and started asking me about uh, whether I could do a fall. It would be about a 15 foot fall a belly flop. Um, and, uh, and so I, excused myself and I went out and talked to them and showed them how we could do it, how it would be done, and they said, Well, would you do it? And I said, I would need a contract and they said, No problem, sent me back to makeup and and, you know, just resumed the conversation with Merrill and the and the makeup artist and then they came in and tried to convince me that I that it wasn't really a stunt and that I didn't need a contract. And oh. I was very, um, unhappy about that. I was embarrassed that I had to be confronted with that while sitting next to Meryl Streep. And so I excused myself and I went out and was like, no, I'm sorry, this is a stunt and I'm designing it and I'm doing it and I need a contract. And that's really, you know, the way it has to be. And went back into makeup and then, uh, Meryl had gone on to to do her shooting and they came in and they they said okay we've got the contract i said good let's sign it and then we'll do it and um by the time i was done meryl had gone home she was wrapped for the day and as i was leaving the makeup artist caught me and she said lisa i just want you to know that meryl streep made sure you
1: had your contract before she left that is so such a wonderful story because Merrill has so many fans and to know that she's like we think that she would be in real life that's that's really I'm so glad that you you shared that and my goodness I, the the time is going by so quickly and we we just have so much to, to talk about I I did want to know because you you've had all of these um well, you've had very, very uh, dangerous stunts to do, and and you've had some injuries. You had one that uh, really uh, made it. Oh, I just can barely talk about it, and uh, that you couldn't do stunts anymore. Would you continue uh, doing stunts if you hadn't gotten hurt? I mean, were you were you aiming at something else instead of doing stunts that you could fall back on?
2: Yes, Betty Jo, I. I really always was an actor and a director, producer and teacher and um I had been trying to phase myself out of my stunt career. But I was so caught in the ego, honestly, uh, Betty Joe. Just I, mm. I was caught in you know people saying, "Oh my gosh, you're so amazing," and uh, between the the money and the ego and sort of having worked my way up to being a top stunt woman there on the East Coast, I really, um, I I just was caught in it. And so what I did was I moved to California, where I removed all my stunts and just was pursuing uh, an acting career. But I flew back to New York 37 times in my first Mm. 18 months there. And I, I just i clearly was not emotionally and psychologically ready to just step away and really follow what my true path was. And Then I said, okay, I'm going to commit to it. And I didn't fly back for six months. And then I said, well, what do I need an apartment for back there? And I decided to fly back and hire movers uh, to bring everything to California. And the night before I left, my stunt buddies from New York called and said, we need you. You're the best. It's a little thing. You know, you'll be here. It's $431. Uh, but it's easy, and and but the girl who was going to do it is going to be in California, so it seems kind of perfect. You're here, she's there, and and that was the the uh, rappelling off the cliff um, where where it did not go right. The rope slipped, and I crashed into the cliff, and uh, mm. it took a full year of um, pursuing various doctors before any of them would acknowledge that i actually had a problem and um they they kept telling me like that it was all in my mind or something um but i was like how could that be in my mind i'm walking along and suddenly i'm on the ground and every time i sit for 5 minutes i'm in pain or if i stand for 5 minutes i'm in pain i'm in pain every you know if i do anything for more than 5 minutes and and this can't just be in my mind. So ultimately I almost got arrested uh, when I went to one doctor and I refused to leave his office until he figured something out and he brought security there. And I said, you're going to need two more guys because I'm going to, I'm not going down easy here. I am not leaving until someone says there's a medical problem. And they found it. They found that the, the vertebrae just move at random. And so they'd always moved back into place when they laid me out nice and straight for the x-rays and MRIs. So then I just had to um, really pursue my uh, path as an actor and acting teacher. But even then, as you read in my book, I still did more. I still agreed to do harmless stunts and boy, they were not harmless at all And um, and after that, I was like, "Okay, God, I get the message. This is not me." I mean, you kept
1: getting pulled back, pulled back in, but but you know, uh, I'm a sucker for for a happy ending, and I, I, I. tell tell our listeners uh, a, a little bit we we only have 6 more minutes so but uh, <laughs> tell us that uh, tell us uh, about your life today what what you're doing today you know, and and then the, we'll we'll do a little bit of wrapping up
2: okay you know uh betty joe i uh, through that acting technique that I was learning, it's called Michael Chekhov's acting technique. And uh, it I found that I wasn't in pain when I was teaching that, and I found I was a much better actor and a happier, healthier person. So I started l- also trying to learn what other alternative techniques could help me function and tolerate the pain without any medication. And uh, I found the scientific, metaphysic, quantum physics reasons that the acting technique worked. And I was able then to teach it in a whole new way to a whole new generation of people Um, because this technique had been used by uh, Marilyn Monroe and by um, Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges uses it and many of our great stars, but they never talked about it. And so now I was able to bring it into the public. And I taught in Moscow and London, Berlin, Paris. And I mentor teachers now, acting teachers and actors, but mostly acting teachers around the world to bring this healthy form. And I've developed a whole way of using it as as anybody can use it to help themselves feel better. So that's sort of, you know, my my wounded healer. Through my wounds, I learned how to heal and i share that information
1: oh i just am so proud of you and inspired and inspired by you uh, lisa and i hope that you will come back again because we have we've just you know this is the this is the tip of the iceberg and i hope that all of my listeners will uh go to uh, amazon.com and order uh falling for the stars uh a stunt gal's tattletales and uh it's on it's paperback and also uh e book, Kindle e book. So, um I got just you won't you won't be disappointed. It's a uh, it's it's fun. It's exciting. It's inspirational. And if you love uh, finding out uh, in, uh, behind the scenes and insiders information, uh, Lisa has really, really done um, a, a, a quite a marvelous thing with this book, Falling for the for the Stars. Um, Lisa, thank you. So much for being here, being such a, a terrific guest today. And I'm sorry that our chat—we had technical difficulties in the in the chat—and I'm sure there would have been people there who had questions for you. But I do want to thank the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, as well as uh, Denise Casino for referring me to uh, Lisa and. Um, Special thanks to Nikki Starr, my executive producer, for all her help, and to Nancy Lombardo, George Bettinger, and the WACO Network for their enthusiastic support for Movie Attic Headquarters. On their wonderful radio shows, Uh, they always mention Movie Addict Headquarters. And Nancy is the hilarious host of Comedy Concepts right here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday Monday and Friday mornings at 10.30 Eastern Time. George hosts the very entertaining Mom and Pop Shop radio show on tune in radio from miramar florida every monday wednesday and friday at 4 p.m eastern time and the wacko network offers something for everyone in its diverse programs now airing on mixler that's m-i-x-l-r i hope everyone will come back next time for another spirited discussion about movies and in the meantime don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com that's r e e l realtalkreviews.com also if you haven't ordered my new book Cinema Stanzas rhyming about movies yet you can purchase this Kindle ebook for only $3.99 on amazon.com thanks to so many of you who have purchased the book and commented on it i really appreciate it well that's all for now folks let's go out with my favorite rendition of you guessed it, hooray for Hollywood. <laughs>